Welcome to Into the Well. I'm your host, Ryan Wilms. I started this show as a place to share my experiences and my journey towards living authentically and mindfully, and also to learn from those who are truly walking the path, healing themselves and inspiring others. By balancing the mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, we can learn to live in harmony with ourselves and our environment. We'll be exploring different tools and modalities used to create sustainable well-being for a fulfilling life. So thank you for joining me. On this episode of the podcast, I get a chance to speak to Jay Cowan, who is a uh, functional medicine practitioner and director of formulations at a system. Um, I've had a few conversations with him in the last month or two, uh, specifically about hormones and supplementing, and I've learned a lot from him. And uh, I found this conversation extremely valuable and also interesting to hear more about his story. And before the age of 30, was given only a few years left to live and basically had to take responsibility for finding his own path to healing and discovering the potential threats and difficulties of concussions, um, figuring out what to do about your hormones and how to find your way back to living and feeling optimally. Um, he's already helped me feel better myself and he shares a lot of great information in this episode. So take your time and listen up and hopefully learn something that can benefit you and, and your way of being and existing and feeling good in your own life. Thank you. All right. Well, I just want to start off by saying thanks a lot for, for taking the time and um, coming on the show and, and sharing some of your, your wisdom and uh, research that you've put obviously a lot of hard work and energy into. So thank you. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Um, I listened to your show. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, Ollie got me hooked on it in, in the past there and dealing with you a little bit in the past and, and mm -hmm. listening to you and what you've been through, um, I think are our journeys in life here kind of mirror each other in our um, uh, travels in finding optimal health. Yeah, yeah. It seems like um, the people that are really doing that and pouring themselves into it have often found themselves in quite a crisis at some point before climbing back out of that hole and, and finding some form of well-being. And uh, you're definitely fitting into that category from from what I know about your story. Well, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, the things you do in life out of necessity, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we, we, you know, we all have this, um, predetermined image of ourselves when we're young, that we're going to grow up, we'll have a family and have kids and do all these certain things. And then you get to life and none of that stuff comes to fruition. <laughs> uh, yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of us end up either in the two places that I think are, are the worst for us. And I consider it a crime. We don't teach our children better education in our education system. We don't teach them better financial practices and uh, better health practices. And they get stuck on one of the two things when they get out of school and they're pretty much screwed for the rest of their lives. So, and I know what that's like. And I like to call uh, those of us that are a uh, little sicker than most uh, healthcare refugees, because I've said it a million times and I'll say it again. It's yeah, the healthcare system is great if you got a headache or a broken bone, but if you're sick, you're in some real trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely agree with you on the education side, finances and and health and well-being, both like physically and um, emotionally, um, would go a massive way in healing what's going on in the world right now, especially. 
Yeah, I, 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 we, we don't pay enough attention to, first of all, to mental health. You know, um, th- again, everything is hormones, hormones, hormones. But we, we, you know, whether it's physical or mental, it's all it's all the same um, messages being relayed. And, w- and where's where's the imperfect uh, messaging? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, in this in this world, yeah, we we get kids. We only give them just enough information to understand how to borrow money, and we give mm-hmm. them just enough information of how to get to the doctor, but we don't tell them. That once you're out of school, you're going to be paying, you know, these debts off probably for the rest of your life if you can get out of them. And that in turn screws you because now you're stressed out, you get sick, and you don't have the money to take care of your own health. Yeah. There's a lot of Band-Aids for sale. (laughs) There sure are. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting, too, just your point about, you know, mental health being sort of at the core of it. Because like you said, people have problems with their hormones and then, you know, chronic physical issues as a result of that. But really the chronic stress that's going on in our society is mostly caused by the mental sort of beliefs of I'm not enough and then trying to subconsciously overcome that for the most part, it seems like. Well, yeah. And, you know, um, and with all this stuff that's going on right now, you know, um, with, with, with um, racism and et cetera, that we're bringing up now too, all these things are, these are predisposed um practices that are put onto us as children when they probably shouldn't be like why am mm-hmm. i why am i sitting here talking to my kid and going oh is that your black friend or your asian friend like it's just a friend well yeah. why am i bringing race up into it then there, we wouldn't have problems with race as we get older you know and it's mm-hmm. no different than than us being sick uh, as well and you know we we don't talk about mental health i don't mm-hmm. i don't know why we don't talk about it uh well, but we don't talk about it and the, the manifestation of physical health so always start with mental health. You know, um, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many doctors when I was sick, I walked into and I had it, them say to me verbatim, it's in your head. Well, if I could reach across the, the table right now and choke you out, it'd be in your head too. <laughs> I, you yeah. know, I cannot stand hearing that it's in your head. Of course it's in my head. We're all, where's all messaging relayed to my head. Yeah. Um, and we, we, we put this on people. I actually have a client right now who, who, you know, he's had a gallbladder removed and they're telling him, oh, the pains and stuff that are going on. That, that's probably just a mental manifestation. You're probably just making this stuff up in your head. Well, regardless of whether he is or isn't, it's a problem. <laughs> Let, let's deal with it. Yeah. You know, uh, and yeah, maybe we blow things out of proportion in our minds sometimes, but we're not taught how to bring that back into check. Um, and then we're given the physical ailment from it that they go, oh, here, just take this magic bullet and you'll be fine. Well, how does that work? Yeah. I mean, it does seem like such a wild thing for a doctor to say to somebody. And I've certainly heard that myself as well. But like you're saying, it's everything does start in our head. Like a belief is it has to be an idea or a thought before it can be something that's manifested in the physical world. That's the case for pretty much everything that wasn't, that's been created by man. So whether that's a disease or healing, it all starts in our minds. And there's so much research, it seems like, around how powerful the placebo can be. Oh, I, you know, I've, I have personally placeboed, I don't know how many patients. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's, there's, there's something to be said about a placebo. If it works, it works. I don't care if it's in your head or not, whatever they're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, if it works, it works. Um, and this, you know, one of the things I like so much about functional medicine is, is in functional medicine, we don't care where something comes from. I don't care if it's Ayurvedic, 
Chinese, Western medicine. I don't care where it comes from. If it works, it works. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and, and to me, that's a big deal. And it's something that I think is missed in a lot of practices. Yeah. I mean, I think that there is at least an impression that a lot of doctors or health practitioners certainly have a bit of an ego and would have a hard time surrendering to either another practitioner or another train, like school of healing, almost beating their school of healing and aren't open to that a lot of the time. Well, yeah, yeah, that, and here on lies the ego, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just pride. It only hurts you. Uh, you know, I don't <laughs> I don't care if you spent three hundred thousand dollars to go to school. It doesn't make you right. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, uh, we are taught growing up, and and this this makes it also makes me laugh at what's going on in the world right now. Is we're taught growing up that our doctor's the know all, end all, be all, and you go see him, and whatever he says goes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, right, right now with the COVID going on in the world, I can tell you that 90% of the people that I deal with that are doctors and et cetera, are all saying this is blown out of proportion, et cetera. But the narrative says not to listen to them, but they also say, listen to them because they know about your health. Right. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know, please help me here. Take my hand and help me. Yeah. Um, so, but what we do know is that with any job, and I don't care what the job is, you're never going to have uh, 100% great people at the job. You know, and this mm-hmm. is our policing too. There's always going to be bad apples. Yeah. Um, doesn't matter what it is. Uh, and in understanding that, then we need to go, okay, well, really, my health is my problem and my concern. This mm-hmm. person is just there um, to help me along the journey, not, not to make end all be all decisions for me. I need to advocate for myself. Um, we, we know with every other job that you go to, you might get 10 to 15% of people that are great at their job, you know, 70% of people that are ah, okay. And everybody else sucks. How can doctors be any different? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And I think, you know, what you're saying about, you know, really we have to be responsible for ourselves. We are the only one like I'm the only Ryan Wilms there is, you're the only Jay Cowan there is. So, you know, relying on somebody else for your own health and well-being is is definitely a dangerous game. Well, that's and we live in this world. Unfortunately, America's made it great to sue everybody else for something else that went wrong in your life. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, you know, there there's completely taking the responsibility away from the host. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry but you're you're you and you alone are responsible for your for your health. If a doctor says to you you should take this and you take that and that made you more sick, did you go and read the studies on it? Did you go and do 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 your research on that drug itself? Because if you didn't, how are you blaming the doctor? Yeah. I'm sorry, but we, you know, we, we can't just walk into places and rely on somebody's word wholeheartedly. It just doesn't work like that. Yeah. Um well, it seems like people are hopefully learning that a little bit more, more and more recently. Um, so you were pretty young when you decided to take some responsibility for your own health because you were in a bit of a crisis yourself. I was wondering if you might be able to share a little bit of that story. Um, sure. So again, <laughs> like everybody else out there, um, health wasn't the biggest concern for me growing up. Um, I never assumed that I felt unhealthy. Um, I even even when I would get hurt and do certain things, I always figured it was because of the the um, intense level I played everything at. Um, so 
you know, I played uh, soccer, very high levels. Um, I, I swam at a very high level. I played rugby at very high levels. And all those things, you know, um, with swimming, sometimes we would be swimming two, 3,000 meters twice a day, you know, um, eating 15,000 calories a day just because you're always hungry, but it doesn't matter what you're putting in, you know. Uh, you just don't mm-hmm. think about those things, and mm-hmm. you just assume – I feel the way I do because I am putting so much in. I there's I have nothing left to give, right? Um, I am now 47. I feel generally feel better in my life doing those things to those levels than I did back then, and I I can actually attribute it now to injury that I didn't understand. Um, and those specific injury would be would be uh, post concussion syndrome. Um, and, you know, um, and then looking back at things now, as I get older too, emotional traumas, younger in life, you know, parents, et cetera, things like that probably are the exact reason why I would blow apart on the field or things would explode and, you know, joints would just blow up on me. Uh, it's probably, um, uh, pent up tension, mm-hmm. uh, that you're not releasing. And I get that a lot with the, with the physical aspects now, but. For me, it was it was concussions, and they started pretty early in life for me. I remember having a couple of good blackout concussions, like falling off the monkey bars, that kind of stuff, mm. um, off my bike when I was very young. But my first very detrimental concussion when I understood concussions, I was about 15 years old, and I was playing soccer, and I ran. I don't I don't normally play out. I'm usually in goal, um, hence why I probably got beat up a little more. As a, I was an, aggre- an aggressive goalie at that. So, yeah. um, but I was running down the sidelines. It was in high school. We were just playing soccer in high school. I was running down the sideline. And as I went to turn and cross the ball, a guy two-handed me in the chest and I fell back and whipped my head in the ground. Now, I only know this because this is what was told to me. I don't remember the incident. Um, I do remember probably 15 minutes after the incident, looking around at about 20 people standing around me, wondering where I was and what was going on. I couldn't remember anybody. I had no idea I was in high school yet. Um, I actually thought it was a year earlier and I was in grade 10, not grade 11. Um, and I missed about I missed about five days there that I don't remember. Wow. Um, subsequently went to Children's Hospital. I sat in children's hospital for a few days. They didn't let me sleep, really. I had electrodes all stuck to my head. I would sleep for 20 minutes, wake up, sleep, wake up. They did that for about five days. I had spinal taps, all this kind of stuff checking me out. At the end of it, they virtually said to me, hey, just be careful. <laughs> just be careful. Okay. So I went back to doing what I normally do. Mm-hmm. And sure, I banged my head around a bunch more times. And between 15 and 28, I probably had... A dozen concussions. Now, you know, what we know about concussions now, too, even when you just see stars, that's a minor concussion, okay? But uh, I'm talking about harder concussions than that. Like, I black out for a few seconds, okay? Right. Um, And then my last bad one, uh, I was about 28, um, and a guy was coming in. I was playing goal, was coming in on an attack. Um, He shot the ball. Uh, I, I kind of like, took me in the face. My leg broke. Um, oh. I blacked out. I didn't even realize that my leg had broke at first. I saw where the ball went and I just tried to get up and go after it. But I realized very quick that I had a complete, uh, fracture of my, 
my lower leg and I was actually running on the fracture. Uh, so dealt with that, got that taken care of. Um, and about eight months later, I just started to notice that I, during this time, I wasn't recovering after the injury, after this concussion and, and et cetera. I just, I wasn't cognitively coming back. Uh, my brain just didn't seem to pick up. Um, I just noticed that I was uh, angry a lot more of the time. Um, so the, and these are also things that I started to notice after my first bad concussion. I noticed that I was having problems with dealing with anger. Um, mm-hmm. All of a sudden, my my handwriting, uh, my cursive got really sloppy. Like I used to write very well. It got very sloppy. Um, I just didn't feel like I could be anywhere for any length of time. I, I suddenly couldn't sit down for five minutes. Um, so, but I just noticed that these things were massively amplified at this time at 20, at, you know, a few months after my t- concussion at 28. And then I started to feel increasingly unwell. And I started to really notice that I was starting to get holes, like actual deterioration of the cartilage in my nose, mm-hmm. in my ears, uh, my elbows, my kneecaps. Uh, my ribs were extremely painful and they would pop in and out of place all the time playing soccer. I would dive in a game for a save and a rib would pop out. I go see my physio and they would work it and it would pop back in. Um, I, uh, was dislocating fingers all the time. Uh, things were just not going very well and going to see doctors. Everyone's telling me that I, well, you you get up every day, you do everything, uh, you're playing at high levels, look at you, you're you're not fat, you're not out of shape, what's wrong? Yeah. You know, let's run the regular battery of tests that we run on everybody, and oh, guess what, you're average, you're average, so no, you can leave our office today. And so this went on for a bit, and then it went on for probably a good year, and then I started, then I started to get um, some other physical symptoms uh, that were starting to happen. I was ripped. My mitochondria, I could tell I was just not making ATP in the morning. I'd wake up in the morning. I could not get out of bed. I would have to go. My wife would have to help me. I would have to have an ice cold shower for 10 or 15 minutes just to spark enough energy for my mitochondria to get moving for the day. Um, And at at the time, did you know like that the more like micro technical side of that, what was going on? Or were you just like, um, I'll do it. Like just try these things. In the beginning, I did not, but I, I was starting to research a little, and I, I have understood mitochondria and the effect of cold showers over the years. You know, I'm always mm-hmm. uh, um, doing hydrotherapy before and after um, physical stuff like swimming and soccer and et cetera to reduce injury and et cetera. So I know how mm-hmm. that works. Um, and so at the time, I was like, yeah, let's just see if this works. And it was working. It was getting me out of bed and getting me going. So... Um, then I just started noticing that I was getting very beyond tired now and really losing cognition. Um, and I was starting to get heart palpitations and it was getting increasingly difficult, uh, more painful to walk. Um, I was getting a lot of pain in my eyes, a lot of pain in my eyes. Um, and so I decided to phone a friend of mine's dad, who's a epidemiologist, but he's an internist out at UBC. And he's known me ever since I was a, as a kid. And I just kind of said to him, hey, doc, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. 
I go, I keep going to doctors, but nobody's looking for anything. Uh, I actually, and the, re- the reason I phoned him was because a doctor that I had just gone to see a specialist actually sat there laughing in my face when I was <laughs> telling him what was going on. Um, just sat there laughing at me. And I asked him what was so funny. And he goes, yeah, these symptoms and what's going on. He's like, there, there's only one thing that this happens with. I'm not going to say it to you because you probably already got it off the internet. And that's why you're here. And I was like, really amazing. And you're, you call yourself a doctor and that you, you're here for your patient's <laughs> plight. And I'm like, great. I'll see you later. I am never coming back. And I also sent a big letter to the College of uh, Physicians and Surgeons on that guy. You can't laugh at people when they come in. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, I went and saw my friend's dad. And I sat down with him for probably like six hours. We sat at his place and just talked about everything and what was going on with me. And he said, okay, leave this with me um, and let me get back to you. Uh, I'll, I'll do a so, little research. And a couple of days later, he phoned me back and said, Jay, I want you to get on the internet. I want you to look up something called mixed connective tissue disease. I was like, okay, mixed connective tissue disease. Awesome. And I went and looked at it. And I read through it. And I read through it again. And I read through it again. And there were some things that were similar, but it, it, it wasn't it. It wasn't what I was feeling. And I don't know why, but I scrolled at the bottom of the page. You know how sometimes it says at the bottom of a web page, related sites or mm-hmm. people who look for this also look for this. There was something called relapsing polychondritis on there. And I don't know what the inclination was for me to check that, but I did. And as soon as I started reading the symptoms, I'm like, this is it. This is what I have. Hmm. Um, so I called him back and I said that. And he said, okay, give me a day. He called me back. And he goes, all right, I think you found what may be going on. And he goes, I'll send you to a rheumatologist friend of mine. And he, you can talk to him. So I went and saw this guy. Uh, and he basically said to me, um, I don't have any, I've never seen this before. Um, and right now you're better off being not having a label, uh, which I get now at the time I didn't. Hmm. Um, Having a label puts a lot of handcuffs on you. Uh, but so I sat there, I worked with him for quite a bit. And I just wasn't really getting anywhere with him other than he, he would say, oh, you need to try this drug and that drug because that's just what we do. Yeah. And that doesn't, you know, that doesn't float with me when you just tell me that's what we do, but you don't really have the research into doing it. So right. um, I just... I don't know what it was, but I mean, some of the things that happen when it comes to stuff just seem to happen so organically, it's not even funny. So my dad at the time happened to be going through uh, prostate um, radiation treatment. And a friend of his, um, she was on her third bout of cancer. Uh, And she was in a support group and she happened to mention my plight in her support group uh, because she was worried about me. Mm-hmm. Well, in her support group happened to be somebody else who had relapsing polychondritis, uh, who said, why don't you, I will tell my doctor about him and see if uh, he can come to see us. So she told her rheumatologist who said, yeah, I'll take the referral. And I went and saw him. What I didn't know at the time was the disease he's, that we're talking about relapsing polychondritis is one in 3 million people. And there was one website on the internet at the time 
that was some lady who just decided to go vegan to and it resolved her issue. Obviously, a food allergy problem um, did not work for me. In fact, made me made me more sick. But hmm. um, in saying that, went and saw this rheumatologist who saw all seven people in Western Canada who have the disease. Went through it for a while with him, et cetera, et cetera. The first day I was with him, I think I sat with him until 8 o'clock at night in his office. His office closed at 5. And he said, no, this is important that we get all this stuff down. At the end of it, he says, it walks like a duck. It quacks like a duck. You're a duck, man. This is what you got. I don't know why these people are all beating around the bush. Like, let's get something done. Mm-hmm. So right away, they put me on prednisone uh, because of the inflammation. And then they start working on biologics like methotrexate, leflunamide, um, then I had azathioprine, all these other things that, which I understand the detriment and something worse is going to come down the line if I stay on those for too long. But in um, wanting to save my life, hey, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. So I proceeded to do that stuff, which in, in turn, I gained about 60 pounds wow. uh, being on those things. I just, I could not take off weight. Uh, but it wasn't making me any better, so to say. I still felt like crap every day. I still did not feel good. Yet yeah, felt like the disease, the progression. I could feel the disease. Like I could feel a fullness in my nose. I could feel the places it was attacking. Mm-hmm. My nose, my knees, my ears. It'd be painful and swollen. Um, so uh, I just kept going. I just kept plugging away with my life, right? Still playing soccer as much as I possibly could, doing everything I possibly could because uh, what I found was, uh, you know, I'm part of the language, but I find sympathy as a motherfucker. Um, And those people who uh, strive for it don't need it. And those of us who should actually get it don't want it. Right. You know, uh, the last thing I want is for somebody to feel sorry for me. I just, all I kept saying was, I just, I would pay anything to feel normal, anything yeah. to feel normal. And in saying that, I, I understand now that I was never normal through my teens or my twenties after the concussions, right? Um, whatever normal entails, because I feel better now than I did then. Yeah. Um, which is amazing to me. So, um, you know, uh, uh, I, I started doing things that way. I was also told at that time after, uh, being there for a bit, this is what you have. The, the rate of destruction that's happened on you is actually quite intense. Um, I was in full osteoporosis at 30 years old. Um, you know, the cartilage is deteriorating. And generally, um, uh, relapsing polychondritis can be, can be um, fatal uh, when, it, it, when it's aggressive. It will um, attack your tracheal tree. The cartilages of the valves of your heart, et cetera, things like this, you'll die of respiration problems or, or a heart attack, et cetera, heart failure. Hmm. So, um, it, you know, and the other, these other um, things tend to disappear a lot faster too. A lot of people get uh, like the bridge of their nose completely collapses and deteriorates, ears, the same thing. So joints get very painful because there's no cartilage left in them, these kind of things. So yeah. they had told me at that time when they when they diagnosed me, they said, you know, in the in the with the degree of of this disease and, and how you have it, you we usually call for about a four year mortality rate with the way it's going with you. So um, get your stuff together, be prepared. You might not make out the year. 
which uh, I heard over the, the next three years a few times. Um, but nothing, pre- I can't, I can't stress to anybody enough. Nothing prepares you to hear that. Nothing. No. And uh, at 30 years old, um, you know, I had just been married now for a couple of years. I've been with my wife since I was 22. Um, had planned on starting a family. All those drugs that I was on, that that wasn't possible. Um, so how do you go home and tell tell your wife yeah. you're not going to be here? Um, you know, these uh, not one second, not one second did I worry about myself in the beginning. It's it's very ironic when you hear those kind of things that you don't worry about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you worry about everybody else, uh, which is the exact. You know, it's what I try to teach my clients all the time. You're no good to anybody if you don't take care of yourself. Yeah. So, um, you know, wisdom that I've gained over the years, I still, it took me a while to get into that mind frame because I was still busy trying to plan for my demise. You know, I got to put everything in place. My house needs to get paid off. I got to make sure there's money in the bank for my wife for the rest of her life. I got to, you know, do everything I can do to implement things where, you know what, uh, I'm not that significant. When I'm gone, it won't be that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, we all place this massive significance on ourselves. Um, <laughs> but uh, so um, in knowing those things, um, I ran into a couple of buddies of mine that I had played soccer with earlier in life. Uh, and their dad was a coach of mine um, and great guy. And he was also a doctor, um, a bunch of different doctors and has practiced uh, um, endocrinology and and anti-aging, functional medicine for years and years and years. And he ran a clinic on the side dealing with all kinds of things. Um, And so when I went to see him, he didn't recognize me. But what he did say to me was, Jay, there's always an answer for every single thing that happens to you. There has to be an answer. There's not, everything has an answer to it. It's just whether or not we find it or not. So let's start digging. What they're not doing is looking for an answer. They said, this is what's happening what can we do to make it look like it's not happening today? What can get you out of my office today? Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. And then he explained to me about my labs. And, you know, your labs are basically a thousand people your age who have problems with that test. Not Those tests are not optimal, nor are they of healthy people your age. Okay, the people don't go in and go, hey, I feel great. This yeah. is the best I've ever felt. Can I please do my labs so I know where to keep these for the rest of my life? You know, yeah. if we really wanted to be proactive, we'd send our kids in at 20, 22 years old, get every hormone, every paneling checked on them and go, this is where I need to be for the rest of my life. Uh, but we don't do that. And we wait till it hits the fan. And then we go, where should I be now? And we try to put that on averages of other people. Right. And that doesn't work. You are not. The reason I get prostate cancer isn't the reason that you do, isn't the reason your dad did. It's all different and individualized. So we got to get away from that thinking. So he just said, no, everything is reversible. And we kind of went through anything. And like just off offhand, one of the biggest things that hit me right away was in Canada, we do, we do our testing and we do labs. Um, our, obviously, our measurements are different than in the U.S., um, but when we do labs in Canada, we, we, we tend to check and in the U S we tend to check things that are just very fluff labs. Basically, if I check these things and you're within range, you're not going to die today and I can send you home. Right. Okay. Which makes, um, like it makes, it gives you peace of mind because you believe the doctor's doing the best thing for you, but it does not resolve what's really going on. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so uh, in saying that, um, one of the things that we, we generally get checked first are things like we, we look at uh, for they were looking at me. They were looking at adrenal function. OK, and mm-hmm. we look at adrenal function always because DHEA, what, what we know is always a, is low DHEAs are conducive with all cause mortality, all cause mortality. OK, so when we look at those things, we go, hey, um, where is this? What is this number? Um, could it be more optimal? Things like that. So mm-hmm. we look at um, adrenal function, and in and in Canada, um, we we look at a measurement in um, I, I think it's nanomoles per liter, if I remember right. Okay, so let's just say I went walking in at 30, 31 years old, and they said, "Hey, your um, your labs." show you have an adrenal function of which it did it showed me my adrenal function was 1.2 okay um well what do we know about that Z- with adrenal function zero you're dead mm-hmm. okay zero you're dead and it says with that function it says um as long as this number is below 9.6 you're good when you're 20 years old that number is 14 to 17 and at 30 years old, my number is 1.2. And they're saying, you're okay, go home today. So right. right away, you know, when I start looking at labs that aren't done normally, I'm like, okay, well, there's something's lost here in translation. Well, what's lost? So we just did a, a bunch of labs of anti-aging labs and stuff and found all these places I was missing things. Basically, I looked like a 90-year-old man on paper. Right. Um, and so we just started implementing things to repair all that stuff. Um, and within about, I would say, oh, within about a month, I was feeling way better. Like I was feeling a lot better. It was, it Mm -hmm. was amazing. But, um, what it wasn't, it was, I could still feel the attacks. I could still feel the attacks. I could still feel low level attacks. Um, and I was trying to get this point across, uh, and, um, they, we were listening, but we were mi- still missing something. Mm-hmm. And I started to make complaints about certain things in particular, like I was getting really gray hair. Okay. I was starting to get really wrinkly. Uh, my feet were always sore as soon as I woke up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, what is going on? Well, so I happened to mention this stuff and the doc goes, uh, how many concussions have you had? Okay. And so we start talking about concussions right away. He goes, okay. Um, it is time to send you in for some labs. We need to check pituitary function and blah, blah, and do 24 hour urines, do some endocrinology, et cetera. Well, what we found out was that I don't release growth hormone anymore. My pituitary is either the pathways to it have been so smashed up that it doesn't release anymore or the pituitary itself doesn't work anymore. So I'm releasing no growth hormone. So, which isn't a big deal when you're old, you can live with really low growth hormone when you're old, but when you're young, it's massively, can be massively detrimental mm. to me. It was the difference between life and death. Right. So we got all the testing done and I start taking some growth hormone, which I'd still take. I have to take every day. I cannot make it on my own, but I take the smallest physiologic, physiological dose possible for a human. So is, gives- is sorry to interrupt, but is that a common 
um, trend with people that have suffered bad concussions? Um, it is starting to become a trend. It, it has not been in the past, but it is starting to be a trend that we're looking at. So just like, for example, now when we get a concussion too, we know that the brain has had a massive injury. So what do we do? We give them high dose intravenous progesterone. Oh, but isn't progesterone a female hormone? Oh, well, again, there's only one side to a hormone chart. We all make the same hormones, men and women. Progesterone is massively anti-inflammatory and massively pre- protective to our brains. So when we give it an intravenous after a concussion, it actually protect, protects the brain from a lot of the post-concussion syndrome effects. Mm-hmm. So that's something new that we've been doing. And Dr. Uh, um, um, Joseph Maroon, uh, he's the head uh, physician for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's a guy who's come out with a lot of this work and um, using growth hormone and progesterone in dealing with concussion syndromes, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, you got We got to remember when we have concussions that, You've rung your bell, uh, mm-hmm. and that brain is not meant to bounce around in our head that much. So what, what's the detriment that's happened? Okay, so, yeah. yeah, and so with me, I take the smallest physiological dose. I was warned by the endocrinologist to watch out for cancers down the road. I constantly watch all the studies. What we do know about growth hormone is, is children who are born growth hormone deficient who have to take growth hormone their whole lives, inject it their whole lives to maintain uh, statures, um, have one-third the cancer rates that uh, an average person does. People of acromegalia who are constantly putting out too much growth hormone have one-third the cancer rates that, that regular people do. So um, it's not the growth hormone. Yes, I understand they say it can make it cancers grow, I look all the time. I've been taking it for 15 years. I'm doing pretty good. So that's an interesting point because that uh, Lance documentary on ESPN just came out and he sort of, he doesn't say he thinks that's why he got cancer, but he kind of alludes to the fact that that might've been the thing that grew up. Yeah. So and when we talk, we got to understand too, when we're talking about taking anabolic steroids, okay, we all have anabolic steroids in us. Okay. But when we're talking about taking them, most of the studies and most of uh, the information comes from people who do not use them in physiological doses, who abuse them and, and take way too much to get unphysiological right. effects, right. okay? Like, um, just for example, I mean, it's every guy who's out there cycling that's finishing in that top pack are all on steroids. They're all taking something. Whether mm-hmm. they admit it or not, I don't care. The ones who don't finish are the guys who either um don't take it or do not have the physiology to be better so i don't know if you've ever seen the documentary icarus yeah okay so there's a perfect example that guy just does not have the physical gift to be good enough regardless of whether or not he took steroids and etc he still just wasn't physically gifted enough yeah okay you still need to be physically gifted mm-hmm. and take those steroids to be on the top yeah. Like, so like, just for an example, um, I don't know if you remember Floyd Landis. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I remember he got burned at the tour de France there. He was, he was way behind everybody. And then on the day of the Hills, he passed everybody and was in first by something like seven or eight minutes or something. Mm-hmm. And then what, what the hell happened? Well, the night before he took something like 1100 milligrams of, or 1900 milligrams of DHEA to recover. Okay. Okay, when we take DHA in physiological amounts, we're talking like 25 to 100 milligrams, depending on your adrenal fatigue. So this is what I'm talking about. 
when you overdo things, you're definitely going to uh, open yourself up to problems. Right. Okay. So do I think uh, Lance Armstrong was taking physiological doses of growth hormone? Absolutely not. Right. Absolutely not. So uh, he was looking for an unphysiological effect. Right. Okay. So when you dabble in that realm, then the potential for growing cancer and, and having some not wanted side effects is a lot higher. You got it. A hundred percent. And and then also when you're using um, synthetics and you're using stuff that you don't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You, you, you really play a game of Russian roulette. Yeah. So, um, for me, again, physiological dose, it's 0.2 milligrams, uh, growth hormone. Um, when I started taking that literally the second day I woke up, it was like, I had come out of a fog. Like, uh, I felt a hundred percent different in my head. Um, six weeks later, I had lost 38 pounds of fat. I didn't change anything. Wow. Okay. I just added this in, uh, lost 38 pounds of fat. Um, I was eventually able to get off of all the drugs. Um, I do not have relapsing polychondritis. What I, what I do have is post-concussion syndrome with a tendency to go into autoimmune disease when my post-concussion syndrome gets exasperated, hmm. okay? Which is what most autoimmune diseases are, which is what most diseases, you don't have the disease per se, what they're telling you you have, you have a dysfunction that's put you into that disease. Right. And it's a matter of finding where that was. So we found the root cause of my dysfunction. Um, uh, concussions. Yeah. Um, now, I don't think that everything turned around overnight. Um, it took me five years to get off all the drugs. I could get off all the biologics, but I could not get off prednisone for quite some time. I would still get flare-ups and flare-ups and flare-ups. Mm. Um, I did find that... Um, Diet, uh, case in point, diet, which I always tell everybody, um, if you don't have hormones and diet sorted out, I don't care how much you exercise, nothing's going to change. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's hormones, then what goes in your mouth, and exercise is way down the list. Uh, so um, uh, you get those things sorted out and and understand your physiology and you'll be in a way better way um it's and it it it, t- it was you know and it it's not something that i got to and then went hey i'm great and then i backed off this is something i check on ever i do labs every three to six months mm-hmm. and see where my stuff is there's always something to work on always it's no i always use the analogies of cars i always tell people yeah. you know i use cars if if you don't work on your car, you think it runs great. Suddenly, one day it breaks down. Oh, what what just happened? Well, if you're always doing something, you always know what's coming up. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a constant fine tuning. You got it. You got it. We're a high performance machine, man. I wouldn't yeah. put sugar in the gas tank of my car. Why would I put it in my mouth? Yeah, absolutely. And I think your point about you know recovering, you know, taking five years is is also important because. By the time we get into a sort of a chronic state of dis-ease and we're, you know, potentially turning the corner, it's likely been a couple of decades that have got us to the bottom of that hole. And now to climb out in a couple of days or months is just not realistic. So having that patience as well, as hard as it is, is something that's just the reality of 
fine tuning ourselves back to a state of being optimal, I think. A hundred percent. You know, I get, I get this all the time from people. Um, you know, I, I try to sell prevention, yeah. but nobody thinks they're going to get it till they get it. Yeah. It's the hard, hardest thing in the world to sell is prevention. Okay. Yeah. But then when they get it, everybody's banging down my door. I need to talk to you today. Well, I'll tell you right now, I thought I need to talk to me today too. Okay. Yeah. It takes time. Nothing's going to happen overnight. There is no magic bullet. Anybody mm-hmm. who says that something changed dramatically and they have this magic bullet. Oh, I'm great now. I guarantee you there's an elephant in the room somewhere that they have not found. Okay. Every single person I look at, I don't care how good a health you think you're in, I find underlying conditions in. So whenever people say, oh, well, this person died and they had no underlying conditions, BS. Mm-hmm. I call bullshit because I find them every single time. We just, if you don't know what you're looking for, then you don't know what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you only know what you know. But, you know, so many things that are out there should not be happening to us. Like yeah. type, type 2 diabetes, number one, um, uh, nobody should be paying anybody's hospital bills for and number two nobody should have type 2 diabetes this is you know 99% of the time this is this is about what goes in your mouth yeah. i make type 2 diabetes go away in people all the time yeah. and it's just about changing their diet nothing else just change your diet yeah uh you know uh, you want to talk about pandemics yeah. well let's talk about diabetes how many people die of diabetes every year like let, let's get real Um, so I mean the, the, and nobody gets anything overnight. It's like, I try to tell diabetes, I can see the trends coming. They just don't do the right testing to show you the trend because they don't want you to know that's coming until you have it. Okay. That's why you don't get fasting insulins checked. They only test fasting blood sugar and hemoglobin A1Cs. Well, fasting blood sugar is just what I did yesterday. If I didn't eat yesterday or, or eat any sugar or carbs, my fasting blood sugars will be low. And they're like, oh, hey, great. But if I look at my fasting insulin, it's over 250. Well, I know he's already a type 2 diabetic. Mm-hmm. But if I look at it and I see it's at 100, and then two years later, it's at 150, I'm like, you're trending towards diabetes. Right. Change your eating. Yeah. But we don't look at the insulin until we go, oh, the fasting blood sugar is now 7 or 8. Well, we better check the fasting insulin. Oh, yeah, you got type 2 diabetes. Yeah. Okay. It's, so I hate that. Uh, yeah, it's years. It's or, or oh, hey, Jay. I just found, I just heard I have cancer. I just got cancer. No, you didn't. That's an eight, 10 year process, man. Yeah. You, nobody just got cancer. So we, we need to understand the processes. And yet again, this is the education part that we're not told. We're told you got something. So we look for a magic bullet because I just got it. Yeah. But if I sat, if I actually told you it took 10 years, you would under, you would have a lot more inclination to go, okay, well, that's going to take me maybe two or three years to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, unfortunately, we live in the, that world of fast paced, do it now. Everything needs to happen right now. And that's not yeah. how life works. Gotta, I want to order that perfect health on Amazon right now. <laughs> exactly. It's, you know, the, it, it, the stuff just always makes me laugh. There's not one fit for everybody. It's why personalized healthcare will never be the norm. It's, it costs way too much. Usually at the first interview with somebody, I sit there with them for two or three hours. Mm-hmm. Most of them say in 20 years, they haven't sat with their doctor that long accumulatively over yeah. 20 years. So, you know, it just, it can't be the norm. It can't be the norm. No, but I think like so much of it could be alleviated. Like we were talking about, like growing up in schools, like if people were educated on diet as a part of that health education, then like how much of that diabetes could be avoided. I can only imagine a lot. 
A hundred percent. If we taught our doctors about nutrition, yeah. you know, my, my, my stepbrother's a doctor, right? two, two weeks of nutrition in seven years is nothing. Yeah, definitely not enough considering all how much the, it does. There should be one year on just nutrition and just exercise. And if you have a patient who comes in who refuses to do exercise or eats right, you don't give them a drug. I'm sorry. Yeah. You need, you need to take your health into your own hands. And if you're not willing to do those two things, then there's no, then doctors shouldn't be obligated to help you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, again, though, um, looking for these problems, the, the, um, part case in part though, I think with, with doctors and education is yes, I understand a lot of people jump on, uh, EMED or, or Dr. MD or whatever the mm-hmm. heck it is online and go, Oh, this is what I have. Yeah. And, you know, pump the brakes guys, pump the brakes. But you also get where I knew what was going on with me when I went to the doctors and I would tell them. And they're scoffing and laughing at me, saying certain symptoms and stuff. Oh, do you know this disease is only one in three million people? Um, and I look at them, I'm like, so you say it's possible? Yeah. You know, like, so why are we having this conversation where you're telling me that this can't be happening, but I'm telling you what's happening? Well, why am I here then? Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of whether you believe your patient or not, you need to listen to them because yeah. I will tell you what. And when they finally said to me, hey, uh, you have relapsing polychondritis, I didn't care that I had relapsing polychondritis or that I was going to die or anything like that. The peace of mind of knowing that I wasn't crazy probably flipped my health around 100% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the placebo piece of it. That, well, peace of mind, like just you don't tell people that it's not happening. Understand that this is what they're going through. You don't live in their head. You don't live in their head. So telling them that it's not happening to them is ridiculous. Yeah. And there's a difference too, because you mentioned before doctors will do sort of a lazy fluff version of testing to give somebody peace of mind rather than listening to them honestly for peace of mind. That's it. You know, like all super easy things they go do and they do your basic CBCs and your lab works. Ooh, ooh, uh, you know, and They'll go, oh, hey, you know, maybe you're, uh, this is too high or this is too low, but we won't call you back, blah, blah, blah. Well, herein lies the problem is there's lots of things that we can do to test, to see preventative problems. Uh, homocysteine, we can, we can see high homocysteines, low homocysteines, and it correlate it to probably heart disease and go, hey, probably heart disease is coming. So let's do something to mitigate this. But we don't like to do that test because it costs money. Now, we wait, like, would rather wait for them to clench their chest and walk in going, oh, hey, now I'm 90% blocked. What are you going to do now? Well, we know one in two men have heart disease at the age of 50. So why aren't we, and I'm not talking about doing, you know, fit tests or whatever. I'm talking about actually doing uh, CT angios and looking for a coronary calcium score, looking at what's going on in everybody's heart. Um, you can go ask your doctor for that test. It costs you 600 bucks because it's a test that actually works and they don't want to pay for it. <laughs> if you didn't have to pay for it, it's a crappy test and it's not working. So, <laughs> you know, take the common sense out of that yeah. one. Okay. They'll do things like thyroid testing and they do this TSH test, which is thyroid stimulating hormone. It's not your thyroid. It's thyroid stimulating hormone. It's the most horrible test in the world. They cost nothing and it can change a point and a half in 20 minutes because of uh, your environment. If you're too hot, you're too cold. Um, and it, the range they give on it, they give, I think, 0.3 to 5.2 or something like that, 
which would be like me telling you you're somewhere between a size four and a size 12 shoe. Figure it out for yourself. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, well, what, what am I saying to you here? But guess what? If I play with thyroid, I could actually kill you with thyroid hormones. So I'll give this massive range so I don't have to touch it. And unless you come in and you're super fat and obese, one symptom out of hundreds of, of hypothyroid symptoms, then I don't have to do anything for you. You're mm. not fat. You're not out of this range. I don't have to do anything. Yeah. So, you know, and we do that with all, all of our testing. We it should, there's fluff, 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 fluff. And then it's the wrong test when we're looking for big things. Right. So I want to touch on a couple of topics that we've kind of dabbled in so far. The first being concussions. Um, you know, I've gone to high school, I think for the most part, I've been really fortunate in terms of avoiding concussions, but I've definitely, um, like rugby was big at my school and a lot of my friends had concussions. And then later in life, um, my mom actually opened a clinic that was sort of pretty alternative and they did a lot of neurofeedback. And one of the biggest things they helped people with was concussions and coming out of that daze. And, you know, the problems you were talking about with energy, focus, your handwriting, you know, being performance in school or at work. I was curious to know, like, what your thoughts are on neurofeedback for concussions, but also for somebody who might be sitting there listening to this and being like, oh, I think I had a couple concussions. You know, what could they possibly look at now? Uh, well, in the world today, and um, man, do I wish more of this stuff was available when I was younger. And do I wish people explain the detriment of concussions? Okay. I, I can remember one year that I had, oh, I think five decent concussions within the school year. And after each one, I would go see my doctor. He would do a couple little things, never sent me to the hospital once and just said, Hey, take it easy. If you feel good, then do what you need to do. Well, Jesus Christ. If we, if we go back and think about this now, uh, and what we know now is regardless of whether you have symptoms or not, you just shook your brain around. And what would the other thing that we don't we don't get either is um, having one concussion to the next is like the Richter scale exponentially. OK, mm-hmm. we have no idea the exponential effect of the next concussion, even if it's a smaller concussion. Um, may not seem detrimental. The effects can be 10 times worse than the last one. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, uh, what can we do about them? Well, first and foremost, um, educate parents. Okay, educate parents. And, you know, I wish to God my mom was way more strict and my dad was way more strict with, um, you had a concussion today. You can't be, but again, I grew up in a little bit of a different time. I would take Mm -hmm. myself to soccer games, you know, ride my bike down to them at 10 years old. Uh, um, Parents would come and watch. Sometimes they they have other kids doing other sports. You know what I mean? And do I go home and tell them every time I rung my bell? No. Uh, So um, I know the world's a little different now. Parents, uh, it's not that my parents weren't involved. They just had a lot of kids with a lot of things to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think parents are a little more informed these days and, oh, Hey, we want you here. And the kids want you here and blah, blah. Um, we got to have the parents going, I don't even care if you just hit your head a little bit, you're missing the next game. I'm sorry. You're missing mm-hmm. the game next week. 
you need to take it. You need to take some time off. Or you had a concussion. Your doctor says you're fine. No, I'm sorry. You're, you're down for six weeks, man. If you right. saw stars or you blacked out, that's a six week minimum. No, you're not doing anything. Um, then on top of that, uh, I think uh, just uh, this isn't just post concussions. This isn't just for concussions, but optimal health period. Get your children checked, 18 to 22. Get them in for a full uh, hormone panel, full uh, blood works, everything. See where they are when they feel their healthiest. I feel better than I've ever felt. That's when you get them in, okay? And you keep that. And you maybe you do it again one more time within a year so that they're fairly comparative. And then you go, okay, now when something bad happens, where are those things, okay? Um, as far as concussions go, First and foremost, if you think you have some post-concussion syndrome, if you think you're dealing with this, if you've had concussions in the past, the first thing I would do is I would get all my labs done and get my hormones checked, bar none. Um, eating, doing all, the, all these other things, trying um, uh, neurofeedback, uh, all this other kind of stuff is great. But if you don't have the hormone patterning in line, everything else is going to pale in comparison. You're not going to get the results that you're looking for. Hmm. If, I, if I don't have um, a good DHEA signal, all my androgens and estrogens are going to be low be- below that. If I don't have a good progesterone signal, I'm probably not going to be dealing with the stressful. I probably can't cognitively settle myself down. If I'm missing pregnenolone because of this growth hormone, et cetera, my cognitive function is going to be retarded. So I have to have these things checked firsthand uh, before I go into the other things. You know, cell membrane is always a big one. Let's get your cell membrane good. Let's get your hormones sorted out. Then, okay, now how do you feel? Let's take a look. Yes, uh, neurofeedback's great. Um, there's a great clinic in the States. It's called the AMEN Clinic, uh, A-M-E-N. Uh, and they do incredible imaging, brain imaging, and they will show you what a healthy brain looks like and what yours looks like, all the holes, the Swiss cheese, uh, how, how your brain looks, and they will take pictures over time as you do things and show you that repair in your brain can actually happen, mm-hmm. okay? I've had people go down there who have had concussions like myself, who I look at their brain and it just, it's void. I mean, it, it lo- I'm not joking. It looks like Swiss cheese. And a couple of years of replacing hormones and rebuilding themselves and doing things right, eating properly, um, um, doing neurofeedback, doing these things, and their brain looks almost normal in a couple of years, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, Everything is recoverable. You just have to know where to look. And again, starting is, you got to start with labs and see where you are. Right. So the other thing then with the, you know, reference to what you're talking about, that seems just so common amongst my peers and other people that I follow and read. And that's, uh, you know, problems with adrenals or adrenal fatigue. That seems to be a hugely diagnosed, self-diagnosed issue. And the remedy often is some kind of adrenal support uh, supplement or tincture, things like that. And from our talks, you know, DHEA is one of the most vital pieces to sort of rehabilitating that but it's not something that feels like it's talked about as much as a lot of the other more popular supplements and things so I was wondering if you could share sort of your experience in terms of your clients and what you've seen 
in terms of people being diagnosed with adrenal fatigue and then how DHEA and other key uh, hormones are helpful in sort of recovering from that? Sure. Okay. So DHEA, uh, dihydroepiandosterone, um, is the most, uh, sulfate is the most um, dominant hormone you have circulating in your blood, 20 times more dominant than any other hormone circulating in your blood, okay? Um, now, um, adrenal fatigue, we're talking adrenal fatigue, okay? So, and I, I, I love this one. So first of all, if you go into a regular doc, they're not going to check your DHA. It's an expensive test, okay? They will check your cortisol. Um, and I, here we go again with um, wait until the damage is already done and then do the fluff test, okay? So DHEAs will slowly drop over time. Okay, it's the most accurate predictor of mortality that we have. If I measured, if I, you didn't do anything different in your life, you lived basically the same life. I measured your DHA at 20, 30, 40, 50. I could draw a line through it and tell you the week you're going to die. Okay. Um, Now, different things happen to us in life here. Um, Sickness, disease, stressors, and et cetera can can completely um, change how we burn through that, et cetera. So again, um, in Canada, we use um, different units than in the States, but what I'm basically looking for in Canada for a man is somewhere around the 14 UMOs per liter or and with a woman around the 10, something like that. But when you go for your labs, it will say at up to about 30 years old, I believe it'll say 9.7 or less. Well, when DHA is zero, you're dead. Okay, so you can go in, your number's supposed to be 14, you go in like I did at 30, and they say 1.2, and they're like, no, you're fine. Okay, so mm-hmm. this lends to the fact that as, as DHEAs drop, adrenal function drops, certain systems shut down, and your body decides what's most important and what's least important. Usually skin ailments, asthmas, these kind of things are what come to the surface because your body doesn't have time to deal with them. Um, adrenal fatigue, I see... More and more and more in younger people. Uh, it's amazing, um, but it's not, it's not um, amazing to understand why. It's just amazing that we're not taught that this is happening. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I love, I get lots of people who go, I think I have adrenal fatigue. Well, of course you have adrenal fatigue. You, li- you live in this world. Um, anybody who you go into, if you're going to a natural path or wherever you're going and they say, Oh, it's, it's adrenal fatigue. You have adrenal fatigue. We have to deal with your adrenals. Well, yeah, everybody has to deal with your adrenals. Okay. Every single person has to deal with their adrenals. We all have adrenal fatigue of some kind at some point. It's just how bad is it? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I look at people now and I'm seeing people in their early 20s now with compromised adrenals already. And it's because of the stress and people don't get the, the stressors um, and, and how primitive your adrenal glands are. So it's just this little tiny gland sits on top of your kidneys. Um, and the, w- when we're dealing with DHEA, y- your adrenals react in a certain way. Um, and for every single thing that happens to you, it's a fight or flight response. It doesn't matter what it is. I have to go to the bathroom, fight or flight. Somebody puts a gun to your head, fight or flight. The kids need something, fight or flight. You get an email, fight or flight. The phone rings, fight or flight. I'm hungry, fight or flight. Okay? So mm-hmm. when you have a flight or 
uh, fight or flight response, the first thing that happens is you spit out adrenaline and do I stay here and fight or do I run? As soon as that reaction's made, then you start spitting out cortisol to what's going on. I'm either running or I'm fighting. You can spit out cortisol for up to 72 hours, spit it out like crazy. Um, it chews up bone, muscle tissue, make energy for the situation at hand. Then once you're done with the situation, whether you fought or you ran, now you get time to sit down and relax. You'll spit out DHEA for up to two weeks to repair, build and repair, build and repair. Okay. Now, when's the last time you had two minutes to sit down and repair? Mm-hmm. Okay. And the stressors on us these days are so much more. Like I'm 47 and I know when I was young and I came home from school, I came home from school. I had my chores to do. Uh, the phone might have rang once or twice, the house phone. Nobody was knocking at my door. I didn't have a computer with emails. I didn't have 10 shows recorded. There was one show I might have wanted to watch at night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it, it, I, it was a lot more sedentary than now. Even kids coming home from school now, homework, friends, I'm on my computer, I'm on my phone, I'm blah, blah, blah. And like, it just doesn't stop. So mm-hmm. your adrenals don't get a chance to rebuild. So your DHEA drops and drops and drops and drops and your cortisols go up to try to make make up for the loss of DHEA. So uh, I see this all the time, all the time. And it's getting it's getting worse and it's going to get worse if we don't start yet again. It's, you know, we need time to rebuild hormones, both and taking time out will rebuild not only hormones for physical um uh, manifestations, but also mental. And we'll be able to deal with all these things better. We need time to ourselves. And whether you are not, you think, hey, I only need to save sick days at work for being physically sick. Understand you got to save them for being mentally sick too, man. Like mm-hmm. sometimes you just, I can't go in today. I just cognitively need to recover. Right. Okay. So yeah, uh, adrenals. I see it all the time. It's getting worse and worse. It's a, it's a bigger and bigger problem every year. So generally speaking, then our adrenals get sort of blasted. And then because we don't give our system enough time for DHEA to rebuild and regenerate, the cortisol is spiking up to sort of compensate for that, which just puts us in a deficit the longer that goes on. That's right. And eventually you get to a point where you you can't recover because you're still you're trying to spit out DHEA to deal with the situation and you can't recover it. So your DHA keeps dropping and your cortisols keep climbing. And eventually there's not enough DHA to do anything. Your cortisol can't hold on. And then your cortisols drop and you will feel when your cortisol drops, you will definitely know in a day or two, and you can only live a day or two with really low cortisols. So that's why they check cortisols. When you say you're really a dream, you feel adrenally fatigued and they don't right. check your DHA. Uh, Cause uh, yet again, can you walk out of my office today or not? Right. Regardless of what your DHEA is, if your cortisols are kind of within check, you can walk out of my office and I don't have to do anything. Right. So, okay. Then looking at somebody like myself as a case study, you know, I've done a million tests, some of them probably useful, some of them totally not. I've tried a million modalities and, you know, adrenal fatigue has been, you know, the str- I've just had stress in my life, like every day, like we were talking about in, in this modern society, whether it's 
going on a run and stressing myself, eating food and stressing my digestive system or stressing about my purpose in life. And, um, you know, that's all built up over the years. So now finally, after talking to you, I've started supplementing with some DHEA and for somebody who's maybe, okay, realized they had a problem. And then it's been a few years searching for that problem. And then getting into something like, like a DHEA, how long would you imagine somebody would notice, like until they notice a difference of that sort of enough in your system to be able to really rebuild and regenerate and start to recover and bounce back? Oh, well, and, and yet again, here we go. Um, personalized healthcare. We're, yeah. we're all so different. We're all so different, you know? Um, and the unfortunate thing when we start talking about hormones too, that, that people need to realize too, is that if you haven't made a hormone for a while, um, or you haven't made it in adequate amounts for a while, your body doesn't really recognize it anymore. And it's running without it. Mm-hmm. Pro- progesterone is a big one. Men and women lose. It's the first hormone that we all lose. Um, it's why women get all scared can get all squirrely, anxious, depressive, angry, et cetera. And I mean, their hormones move a lot more on a monthly basis than ours do, but the progesterone is the brake pedal for them. Um, and that's the first one they lose, especially if they're having kids. Uh, men lose it, yet we're told that it's a female hormone. So men don't supplement it or you might grow breasts, which is completely and utterly untrue. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and progesterone can be massively calming to people as well. Um, uh, and then you, you, I, and your adrenal function. So, you know, um, uh, in, in trying to rebuild these things and, and we got to remember from our adrenals, we build a lot of, we, we built from our DHA, we build, um, androgens and, and estrogens as well. So if we don't have an optimum level of, uh, DHEA, again, 20 times more, uh, dominant than any other circulating hormone that you have, how can you possibly build the hormones below it to recover? Mm-hmm. Remember, hormones are always anti-stress, and this is what people miss. Um, like I try to tell ladies all the time when they say, "Oh, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little out of control." Even guys, I'm a little out of control. I'm anxious or I'm depressed. If I'm mad, I'm like, "What's well, your hormones?" But what I I'll always stress too is that yes, your hormones make you do bad things, but they make all the good things in you too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so don't don't act like they're the enemy. We right. gotta we gotta learn to use them to our advantage and understand the message that they're conveying. Now, with your with your adrenals, yeah, if your DHEA is low, chances are your estrogens, maybe, but probably your testosterones are. And unfortunately, with us men, we'll walk into our doctors and say, you know, hey, I noticed this, that, or the other thing, which is usually something to do with erectile dysfunction. One in three men have erectile dysfunction at the age of 40. And when I say erectile dysfunction, it can be as simple as my, my urine stream isn't what it used to be, okay? Right. So you wheel into, into your doc and he goes, yeah, you got low T's. Let's try T's. Let's try giving you some testosterone. Well, your test, giving you just testosterone didn't fix what was going on upstream. And giving testosterone will probably only work in 20 to 30% of guys because that's not the underlying issue. Mm-hmm. Now, if I give you DHEA, and when I give you testosterone, you stop producing your own testosterone. Your testicles shrink. Um, you have to take testosterone as long as you're on it. Uh, now, if I give you DHEA, your adrenals will recover on their own. If you take 25 milligrams of DHEA, you'll notice your adrenals will start to recover on their own as well because you've got a bit. 
Mm-hmm. What you won't do is you'll never go over your physiological amounts of estrogens or, or uh, testosterone or your androgens if you keep that within a physiological level. Now, the things you're going to notice, um, and you, some people notice them right away, okay? Mm-hmm. And again, par- if you haven't seen it in a while, you can get a paradoxical effect where you take some DHA and suddenly you become supercharged and pressured. Uh, and you feel like you're going out of your mind, like it's just too much energy, um, that right there tells me you've missed it for a long time and your adrenals really need a bit of a kick. Hmm. Um, so you just have to slowly implement it and eventually that will go away. The same thing happens with progesterone. Progesterone is supposed to be calming and supposed to make everybody just kind of chill out. Well, if you haven't seen it a long time, and I get this with ladies and guys all the time, that sometimes it'll be energizing and actually cause them to be anxious. Right. Uh, goes away very quickly within days. Um, now, when you're taking DHA... A lot of people will notice a boost in energy. A lot of us don't pay attention to our energies and we'll go, I didn't notice any more energy, but where I was having a nap in the early afternoon before, I am now going all the way until after bed and then going to bed, but I'm saying I don't have more energy. Right. You understand what I'm saying? So I see that all the time where people go, I don't really notice, but I'm doing this, 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 and this, and I'm still awake. Right. Um, So you will notice... Uh, you things that you you'll notice with it probably are cognitive uh, function, um, clarity uh, improvements. You, there'll be a lot of things you don't notice. Cardiovascular. Um, it, it, there's a million studies out there done on DHEA. Unfortunately, in the U.S., the FDA does not approve the studies, but they are approved by governments all over the world. Japan all over Europe. Um, there's a great book called The Hormone Handbook by Dr. Thierry Hertog. Um, he's a fifth generation endocrinologist. And in the back of his book, uh, probably three quarters of the book is just studies. And if you flip the, I love it when people say there's no studies on DHA. If you flip just in his book to studies on DHA, there's a few hundred. Okay. Right. So uh, there's studies for all hormones out there. Um, and done in physiological amounts, you just have to look to the right country for the right studies. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, this is, can be quite um, daunting, a daunting task in, in itself and having to sift through it. So I understand the misconceptions that a lot of people get and the understanding that they miss out on. Um, taking DHEA, can you come off it? Uh, for sure. At some point in, in your lifetime, though, your adrenals will not keep up. And you'll need to take some to keep them at that youthful level. Mm-hmm. Um, but for your, like somebody like yourself, I would say somewhere between the 25 and 100 milligram mark, you will notice these things, mm-hmm. joint pains, um, metabol- better metabolism, um, um, better digestion, um, uh, better sleep, better cognition, better sexual function. All these things are possible mm-hmm. and should all be seen, you know, at when you get to that right level. Right. And that can take a few days to a few weeks to maybe longer, you think? For sure. You know, like when I, when I first started taking, my adrenals were so low. I, started, I was at 100 milligrams for probably about six months. And it took about four or five months to actually see. Like, I think I went from 1.2 to 2.5 or something. And it just kind of wasn't going anywhere. And then all of a sudden, my adrenals just really, it was, I just hit a spot and they really recovered. And I checked and I went from something like six to 18. 
Then we're like, okay, well, now I can back it off. And I eventually got down to 25 milligrams, and that was staying around the 14, 16 mark for about five or six years. I'm up to about 50 milligrams 15 years later. Um, and I still, my level stays about the 14, 15, uh, UMOs per liter. So, um, it's good. Uh, and again, I, I try, that's why I do my labs is I try to keep them physiological. So nothing else goes into an unphysiological range. Yeah. Cool. So moving on from that, then, um, you know, as we've talked about everyone's individual circumstance is, is very unique, but through working with the system, you've had a chance to actually formulate, um, you know, I guess the best shot at a one-size-fits-all supplement pack for guys specifically. And I was wondering yeah. you know, if you could share a little bit about your process in, in terms of formulating that and about the product itself. Sure. So um, th- there's a few things in that. So, uh, before I get to that, I'll say w- one of the most important things that we do as well, besides, you know, checking hormones and et cetera, is checking cell membrane. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a massive thing in North America that we're not getting yet. And you want to here we go with type two diabetes and heart disease and all this kind of stuff. Um, this is be- from living in, in an inflamed state. OK, and basically that comes from us eating food out of packages, omega sixes, that kind of stuff. Um, and so the first thing I always do is correct people's cell membrane. I take a little bit of blood. I send it off to Guelph University. They tell me the constitutes, all the, all the acidic constitutes of your cell membrane. And then I look for those things. I'm really looking for a big ratio between DHA, different than DHEA, mm-hmm. uh, DHA, docohexanoic acid, omega-3, and EPA, icosapentaenoic acid, omega-3, and then arachidonic acid, omega-6. And what we find in the U.S., whenever I do anybody's uh, blood labs, they have this incredibly inflamed cell membrane, okay, Hmm. Um, which in turn makes the cell membrane dry and crusty, not pliable. All the receptors for your hormones all change shape, so things don't fit in properly. Hence, we get insulin resistance, uh, poor thyroid function, et cetera, et cetera, okay? Um, so correcting a cell membrane, and I can start correcting this within 30 days with the right constitute. So I send it off. I see your cell membrane, which again is a very individual thing. It is genetics that pre, uh, uh, predetermine what your, what your, uh, cell membrane is. Mm. If you are Caucasian, you are probably from Scandinavia. You have a massive need for omega threes because you live by the water. Your ancestors live by the water, eating deep water heavy oiled fish for a long time. Right. If you're Asian or, or, um, uh, African in, in descent, you probably ancestors were born next to the border. You ate shallow water fish with very little oil. And therefore your genetics call for a way lighter, um, um, omega three constitute to balance out your cell membrane. Okay. So I normally see people in the, um, 10 inflammatory to one anti-inflammatory ratio. Okay. So I'll see like a 10 to one. Uh, and that happens all the time. And then we have to balance that out. So I have to give them a certain amount of omegas, threes to balance that out. Okay. So that's always the first thing I do. And when I get omegas balanced out, then everything else takes better because your cell membrane has the receptors and the intelligence to deal with its environment. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in, in dealing with the system stuff, 
um, what I what I was looking for was I had actually been looking for somebody for a long time to build a supplement that I wanted. Um, I I had a female one and a male one. Female ones are much harder um, in that females um, their hormone um, distribution throughout the month can be so different from lady to lady, and I mean so different that it's very hard to get a one pill fits all for a lady, mm-hmm. okay? Um, now for men, uh, what I found over the years was I generally started in the same sort of place with men, at which got them about 70, 80% of the way there, and then the personalization was put on top. I actually found with a lot of these men, when I got them 80% of the way there, that was enough for them. They didn't want to do more, and we have... Um, drop their risk factors by a lot markedly. Okay. Right. So, um, the things I found were there's always a little adrenal fatigue. There's always cognitive problems. Uh, there's, there's always, um, um, sexual uh, dysfunction of some type. Um, and unfortunately with us men, we don't talk about those things. You know, we're, mm-hmm. I'm good, I'm good. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Okay, great. And another problem, as men, we're not t- taught to talk about our function other than let me know when you're good and you're the best. Otherwise, don't tell me because it's embarrassing that, that you aren't on your game. Right. So um, we, for a system... Um, it, w- it was just really nice. I I had just recently got out of the practice that I was in, um, and kind of went out on my own. And an old, uh, she's now my partner, um, uh, Jill Schmelke, and um, she had her own company, uh, Nourish Me. Uh, and so her and I partnered, and we did have been doing a lot of stuff together. In that, she said, "Hey, I know somebody." who really wants to do some stuff for you. Yeah. I was like, okay, great. And this was Ollie Walsh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to meet him and I actually thought I was doing personalized health program for him. Um, and we kind of got talking and I looked at him. I'm like, I'm not really sure why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he goes, well, I, we have this supplement that we're putting out uh, and we're just starting a new line for men. And we just wanted to know what you thought about it. I was like, okay, sure, I can do that. And he goes, uh, uh, Jill says, you've been doing this for a while. I said, yeah, I have my own product sort of thing that I've been trying to peddle for a few years. But people either want to buy it and bury it or want it from me and don't want me to have anything to do with it. Right. And that, does, that doesn't float with me. I made this to help people with their health. Uh, this, this wasn't uh, to get rich. It was I understand what it's like to be here. And if I can help you, and make it easy, then let's go because it was not easy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ollie showed me his stuff, etc. And I read through the <laughs> through the ingredients. And I said, Have you tried this? He said, Yeah. I go, What do you think? And he said, Well, it's pretty good. Uh, you know, I don't notice anything big. And I kind of looked at him and said, That's because it's the same fluff that everybody else is putting out. <laughs> I said, Do you really want to try something that works? And he said, sure. And he was all ready to, he's like, yeah, let's go. I said, oh, well, you know what? Um, this, for me, this is, this is what I want, my gift to the world. And I will really want to take it easy with this thing. So what I'll do is I'll make you and your partner, Josh, I'm going to make you guys a month's supply of what would be in my ingredients. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys tell me how, how it is and how you feel. Uh, and then we'll talk then. 
Well, I think Ollie phoned me the next day and Josh in three days and they said, Lo, let's do something. <laughs> so I, I got to meet with Josh and I met with Ollie, went through everything, said, this is what I want to do. And they said, okay, great. Let's, let's take you down to Atlanta with us and, and see what we can do. So we went to the, to the plant, manufacturing plant and looked at it, went through it all. Um, the guys who were making the things liked what I had to say, et cetera. Um, so we said, okay, well, the, the warning at the end of it, though, from one of them was, you realize nobody else is doing what you guys are doing here. And this was my whole point to doing this, was there mm-hmm. isn't a product out there for men that has everything in it and then has some hormones in it. You can buy the hormones themselves, uh, but you can't buy a supplement that's made like this. You can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand uh, the, the detriment of, of not having these hormones as we age. And certain um, um, ingredients in here that are in bioavailable forms um, that are very hard for people to get. So uh, I made this, gave it to these guys. They loved it. Everybody said it's a go. Um, And so we have what you see now in our system, our superhuman supplements. We have our um, Brainiac, our White Lightning, and our Multiman. And... Um, in amongst those, I still have yet, and this isn't, this isn't me just saying our product is great, Mm -hmm. but I do think it's a great product. Um, I have yet to hear anybody complain and say that it's not a good product. It's messed them up and it's not good for them. I don't have that yet. I don't have that yet. So, um, that being said, uh, our product is built for most men now if, if if you think that you have problems with certain you know aspects cancers etc i always implore everybody to talk to their doctor first please talk to your doctor before you start anything um consult your physicians etc mm-hmm. um if you have and everything's a go then you know that i i personally Say if you if you're looking for something that is going to give you back your energy, give you back some of your manhood, um, uh, eliminate some of the stress in your life, help you sleep better, um, mm-hmm. just give you an overall better experience in life. Deal with things that you don't even know that you're dealing with. Maybe ward off yeah. prostate cancer, um, heart disease, um, cancers of 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 any kind, cognitive decline. This this is what you should be looking at. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. I think, and I have some experience with the product too, and I've I've been really impressed with it, and feel good, and trying to get some for my dad actually. Yeah, and I, and you know, and I I love the the free reign that uh, Ollie Walsh and and Josh Levine have given me. They said, "Hey, this is your stuff. We know this works for us. You whatever you want, we'll make it happen." Yeah. So um, that's what we've been doing, and that's you know that's how our you know the other stuff came out too. Our our um, radical relief mm-hmm. uh, system or pain relief system and other products. This is, you know, these are all things. I am the ultimate human guinea pig and I've done everything to myself <laughs> that you could possibly imagine before I ever suggest it to anybody else. Um, half of my job is research. I sit here and read all the time. I'm always researching. I'm always picking other um, researchers' minds mm-hmm. uh, to find out what they think about the research and the studies and et cetera. Because for every study that's out there that's great, there's one out there that's bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, COVID has taught this a lot. I got all my left wing buddies sending me stuff saying one thing, all my right wing buddies sending me another, and I can mix and match both of them and show them that they're both wrong. But, right. you know, that's, that's how studies work. So um, it basically it comes down to uh, w- what do you want to regain in your life? Mm-hmm. And a system has given us a platform and those guys have given us the opportunity to give something back to men, especially um, that they can't get somewhere else. You can't just run around and go, hey, I'm going to find this, 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 and this, and hope that they all work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, generally speaking, this will work for 95% of men and take them from here to here. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so our, our products themselves and, uh, they're the sleek marketing and the slick packaging that I absolutely love, mm-hmm. um, make it not only, uh, visually stimulating, but once you try it, I am, I won't say I guarantee <laughs> that that you'll stay on the product, but yeah. what I always what I always ask of people is if you decide to go off it, write me a little letter and tell me how you feel without it. Because mm-hmm. there are some people who don't notice when they're on something, yeah. uh, or when they're taking hormones, etc. They don't notice, like I was saying to you, I didn't notice that I had more energy uh, because I was using it all up. Yeah, but I do have a few people who have been on it. And have gone off it because of the COVID thing. Hey, I got to save money and blah, blah, et cetera. And then we'll phone me literally within days to maybe a week or two tops and go, oh, yeah, I, I am not doing as good as I was on that. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It kind of leads into the last thing I wanted to ask you about. And it kind of touches on just that that sort of subtle improvement. And it's hard sometimes to spot it. And that's, you know, sometimes a problem with people starting and stopping meditation practice or any of these sort of more subtle things. And, you know, on your own Instagram, you share about grounding and cold water, getting lots of sleep. You know, these are like foundational principles of of health and well-being, but they're also generally free and easy and accessible to everybody. But they're like less sexy and it's not going to be an overnight change but how important is that in terms of feeling good but also getting to know yourself more deeply oh well now we're on a completely different <laughs> topic here like this is a whole nother journey but you know um the like um you know uh i i i listened to your podcast on your own interview and and one of the things that i really hit home with me um was the unwell journey um, sure takes you to for a trip on the inner side of yourself. Uh, and for me, um, that was the, if I don't change things in my life, let alone, um, the things that I need to do to make myself physically better. Um, but if I don't adopt practices to make myself mentally better, um, I'm going to lose out on a lot of relationships in my life. Mm -hmm important relationships in my life because I'm not getting the cognitive problems that have arose from my concussions. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, uh, it like, if I don't change my ways, um, is my wife still going to be around? Yeah. You know what I mean? If I don't change my ways, um, 
what am I going to be like in 10 years from now? Uh, so that inner reflection of these things is, uh, as you know, to me is a monstrous part of this. And the little things, um, are the big deal. Like I, I always say, if you can do things right, 80% of the time, beat yourself up for 20%. Life has to be enjoyable at some point, but mm-hmm. if you beat yourself up for 80% of the time and only take care of yourself for 20%, I guarantee you, you're going to die hard, man. Yeah. And when I say die hard, I mean, you want to talk about these people who are dying 10 years, you know, that are living in sickness for the last 10 years of their life. I don't want that. No. Give me a heart attack in bed any day. <laughs> you know, like, uh, and I, and I hope that's the way that I go. I hope it's suddenly, and it's at the end of my life. Um, so if you live, if you live hard and you make an effort to make your life, um, a little uncomfortable, your death mm-hmm. will be very comfortable. Yeah. But if you try to make your life as comfortable and as easy as you can, your death is going to be hard. Yeah. Um, so, uh, um, you know, what kind of things, you know, myself, um, or, or do I say to people is, yeah, you, all these little things, all these little practices, grounding, um, eating properly. A big one I try to tell people is if you can control what goes in your mouth, you can control any aspect of your life. Yeah. Any aspect of your life. Trust me, controlling what goes in your mouth is the hardest thing you do on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, and especially for those of us that are addicted to carbs and are still brainwashed into thinking that cereal is great for breakfast. You know, <laughs> um, if, if you think that you need carbs, then you're on the wrong track. You're on the, you're on the wrong path because you're not giving yourself the ability to clear your mind cognitively and clear your physical body cognitively to be clear. Um, I implore everybody to try it at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, the little things grounding, um, you know, I like little things for me. Every morning I get up and I do some push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, and dips. I do it every night before I go to bed. It's just a habit. It takes less than five minutes. It literally takes me about three minutes to do a hundred push-ups, uh, as many sit-ups as I can get in, uh, dips and pull-ups. It takes me about three to four minutes. Mm-hmm. I love it when people say they don't have time. Really? Yeah. You don't have time? Really? How about when you're sitting watching TV? You just jump up and snap off as many push-ups as you can in that five-minute commercial break. Yeah. Like you do you do it with your partner. You go, hey, hey, I challenge you. Who can do the most push-ups for it? during this show? You pick out one, one instance where there's a commercial. And you do as many push-ups as you can, and I do. And at the end of it, we call it. <laughs> or maybe on the next hour show, we go, who can do the most pull-ups? Like there's so many little things that you can do. Every yeah. morning, I go out and ground. Now, if I don't do those little things, if I don't make these things a habit, guess what? I'm not going to make a habit. Eating right. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to take my pills in the morning when I need them. Um, so all these little things that you put in that, that you like to say to yourself, oh, it's not a big deal. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Anytime you go, I'll do it tomorrow is the time that you should do it now. Yeah. Uh, because that time that you don't do it tomorrow will be that 20% of the time that you just don't do it and you forgot. Mm-hmm. Trust me, <laughs> it, it, I've been doing, I've been living the way I've been living for about 15 years, you know, implemented with my, with my regime of pills, with my exercise, with my eating, and, you know, some things have changed, etc. But I tell you, when I forget to do something or when I don't do something, it's because I forgot, not because I went, hey, I should do that right now. No, I'm not going to do it. 
because the no, I'm not going to do it now becomes habit forming and no, I'm not going to do it again. And I'm not going to do it again. And I'm not going to do it again. Yeah. So, um, ju- I just get in the habit of doing all those little things and, and I do them for little bits of time. So it becomes the habit forming where then the next time I'm doing it, I almost forget about it. Like the grounding. I try to tell people just start out with five minutes. Yeah. You're outside. You just quick while you're just looking at your phone. Hey, I'm, uh, you know, I am looking at my emails while I'm doing it. Oh, hey, there's five minutes is gone. Next thing you know, it's 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Um, you know, it's no different when we're at the gym. You know, I try to tell people I go to the gym. I only lift 60 percent of the weight I used to lift. I'm probably on the machine seven to eight minutes in 35, 40 minutes. And they're like, how do you work out in that little amount of time? I'm like, stop playing with your phone. Stop talking. Do the task at hand and get out of there. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The task at hand. And we, we missed that. We try to multitask. And what people don't get about multitasking is really, and I've read all the studies, truly, there's only about two and a half percent of us that can multitask. And anybody who's sitting there going, oh, I'm that two and a half percent, you're wrong. It's not you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, you'd be pretty, um, you think quite highly of yourself to think that you'd be that two and a half percent. Okay. And I've watched and we, we cannot multitask. So please don't try. Don't try. Quit straight. You want to talk about burning out your adrenals? Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about 10 things that wants to get done and I haven't got anything I'm done. So now I'm stressed out because I'm not getting any done. How about I worry about the one task at hand? Don't think about the other ones. Guess what? As I'm doing this, the stress is alleviating. So I'm getting this one done and then I move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we, we try to take on too many things at one time and that's just the world we live in. It's go, go, go. There's no stop. There is no stop. Yeah. We have to really work on that, that muscle of discipline to slow things down and for ourselves. Because nobody yeah. like the world's gonna emails are coming twenty four hours a day. There's no stopping that. So we have to choose how we relate and participate in those patterns. And that's it. And what people neglect, you know, and with this world now, I know COVID's messed it up a little. But there's twenty four hours in a day. There's twenty four hours in a day. And when you tell me you don't have time, mm-hmm. I always have to laugh. Uh, there's twenty four hours in a day. Uh, I and you gotta. I get it. You have to find time to sleep, eat. Uh, take a little care of yourself and et cetera. Um, you can find five and 10 minutes in a day in 24 hours. Trust me. Yeah. Uh, it's, you just have to, but everybody wants to do You know, um, same, same practice, different result, same practice, different result. No, let's, let's change, let's change the process. Mm -hmm. And then we change the result. And guess what? In changing the process, we might've even made it easier on ourselves. You know, I, I get that all the time. My dad's the perfect example. Um, I just brought him home from surgery yesterday. He's the exact perfect. My mom listens to everything I tell her. She's the most active 73-year-old I've ever seen. Nobody would ever tell she's 73 years old. Um, my dad lived super hard, smoked his whole life, three packs a day, ate the crappiest stuff, never exercised. Although he'll tell you going to soccer game is exercise. It's not exercise. Uh, and, um, does, they never took care of himself, diabetes, prostate cancer, you name it. I actually moved him into my house for five years, lost 60 pounds was the best he was, uh, but still didn't stop smoking, still wouldn't do the regular things, but watch the eating, just watch the eating, but ended up having a heart attack, uh, a couple of years ago, which I knew was coming. You're smoking. I know it's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, 
found out all the heart disease. He stopped smoking, but he gave up on everything else. Now he eats everything in sight, doesn't exercise anything. <laughs> so I had to take him yesterday uh, because of his prostate surgery. Uh, when younger, um, he had radiation. What they don't tell you when they give you radiation is that the radiation keeps causing scar tissue and worsening for the rest of your life. Uh, my dad has one of the worst cases of scar tissue ever in his bladder, so it keeps blocking his urine from getting out. Mm. So he went and had a surgery done yesterday. He gets home and he's just yelling at me, why is this happening? I, and I just looked at him. I go, dad, <laughs> you got to stop with the wise man. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. You know why? And I go, and I don't have sympathy for you. If you tried, I would have some empathy, but yeah. I don't have sympathy. And I go, if you really, you got to understand where I was. And I still don't think he gets how sick I was. Right. Um, I go, if you understand where I was, I didn't say why me. I said, why not me? And why can't I figure this out? Yeah. You know, stop the why me's, man. Bad crap's going to happen to everybody. Stop the why me. Why not me? Maybe it's me for a reason. Maybe it was me to figure it out for other people. Yeah. You know, maybe it's you because you can help out somebody else around here. But saying why me doesn't stop the situation. You know why me. I got a giant sign on your fridge that says no grains, no bread, no pasta, no sugar. What's in your fridge? All carbs. Yeah. You know, so um, what do you want me to say to help you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can only lead a horse to water. That, that's right. And everything's sitting there for him. I buy him good food. I buy a, there's an exercise bike sitting in, in his room right in front of his TV. There's all this stuff. I had to move him to a home because he was falling down when I wasn't at home. Hmm which I don't want to move him into a home. He's my dad. Like he doesn't need to be there. If he, if he took care of himself a little bit, he would not need to be in there at all. Right. His legs would be fine, but he doesn't exercise. He doesn't do it. So this is that, this is that thing. Like where, where do we put accountability back on the, on the patient? Yeah. You know, I hate walking into the hospital like I did yesterday for a surgery and there's people there with COPD and there's outside smoking and they got cancer. Like why am I paying their hospital bill? Yeah. You know, why am I flipping a bill for diabetes, which I can understand up to an extent because in society we get them there. And then I've been to the diabetic clinic where they don't say how to get rid of it. They say how to live with it and just minimize the damage. So just eat less, not change your eating and it'll go away. Yeah. So we, we perpetuate some of these situations. Um, we just have to be advocates for ourselves and we have to be way smarter and understand that Nobody's going to help you if you don't help you. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that's probably a good spot to leave it for now, but definitely, again, appreciate the time and, and, and you going on this deep journey yourself so that you can share the products and the teachings with, with everyone. So thank you very much for that. And thanks for having me on. And like I said, I, you know, I listened to your own journey myself and, and uh, always impressed with, with, when people get that, uh, ah, the clarity <laughs> That moment, because it does happen, you know, and I remember when it hit me, I remember, and that was that, that, why not me? I was looking in the mirror one day and I was, it was, my wife wasn't home and I literally crawled across the floor to the, to the bathroom to get in the shower to get up. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I, I just started crying. I was losing (laughs) my mind and I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you, man? And I go, why is this happening to you? And it, it was exactly the ringing in my ears hit me and it was just like a punch in the face. Why not you? Yeah. And from that day on, my mindset was completely changed. I was like, no, I'm not going to be a victim, man. 
regardless of whether this takes me or not, I am not the victim. This is, this is a, does not define me. Yeah. Yeah. And that, unfortunately people let that happen. They let a disease define yeah. them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm grateful that it happened to you and, and that you were able to turn it around. Well, and like yourself, sometimes the, the seemingly worst things in our life turn out to be the biggest blessings. I wouldn't change it for the world. It uh, made me understand what was really important in my life. Yeah, absolutely. It truly is. And being able to have that different perspective and, and reframing those types of challenges as learning experiences is, is important. But I, I feel the same way. I can't imagine going back to how I was living before just my own perspective and experience day to day. Uh, it's almost hard to relate to now. So I'm super grateful for, for the challenges that have come and that will come that will continue to push that growth. Well, and, and, and the empathy that it gives you for others, totally. you know, again, I, 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 I don't give sympathy. I don't do that. Uh, it doesn't do anybody any good. It's just a crutch. But if you're trying, I have all the empathy in the world, man. Yeah. And so, you know, and I get it. And so it was something that I didn't have before. I would just sit around and somebody wheeled in, you know, before I did this for a living, I'd see somebody and they're like, oh, I'm fat. And I'm like, well, then stop eating, uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, uh, but there's so much more to it. Or, oh, I feel like I'm going crazy. Take some antidepressants, you know, like I was I was the same mindset of everybody else, so, which is a very ignorant mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people are working really hard and they're not getting the help that they need. And that's the other thing that people don't understand. A lot of people don't understand either. And once you get sick, you do that. Um, the things that are happening in people's lives are the biggest things in their life. Mm-hmm. Like my wife has been to the hospital one time in her life for some stitches under her arm. <laughs> she does not know what pain is, <laughs> but that was the worst pain that she's ever experienced. Who am I to tell her that it's not? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so ha- ha- the things that we experience are completely individualized and we cannot go, I would have reacted this way or that way. Cause that's got nothing to do with me. Yeah. So I did the, the empathy that it's taught me for what, other people are going through um is one of the one of the biggest gifts i think that i got out of this yeah absolutely that's a powerful one for sure all right well thanks again jay thanks ryan i i appreciate it it was a lot of fun and you know anytime you want to talk or you, you need some help with anything you let me know yeah. and uh yeah it, it, it was great talking with you absolutely me too and i'll definitely take you up on that i hope you enjoyed this episode Whether you listen to it on Spotify, Apple, or through our website, it would be great to hear your feedback and thoughts. If you're able to leave a review, it'll really help us share the message and share the podcast with more people. Thank you.